Hello everyone, welcome to that food podcast. My name's Stu and I haven't just made Matt laugh off air by suggesting we're recording a raccoon podcast. Matt, how are you doing this week? <laughs> yes, yeah, silky smooth as always, Stu. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm coming off a very pleasant and restful bank holiday weekend as I'm hoping all the listeners have done as well and, and you, Stu, too. Uh, got to eat some good food over the weekend, including the uh, maple pecan crumpet bread and butter p- uh, pudding, which we uh, cooked for the show, which looking forward to talking about later. Um, also got to watch a good film, so uh, Nomadland, uh, doing the rounds in the media at the moment, is a very popular film, won lots of Oscars and things like that, so um, managed to watch that on Disney+, Plus, and that was a brilliant film, so if anyone gets a chance to watch that, certainly recommend it. I know you're not a much of a film buff, Stu, but I, if you do get the chance to watch this one, it's worth sitting down for. Um, and round off the weekend with a bit of World Championship snooker, which is just the most relaxing sport in the world to watch, um, especially if you've got a little little belly warmer, a whiskey um, on the side there, and very nice way to round it off. How have you been? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, yeah, we had a lovely bank holiday weekend, which involved us um, driving um, to near a place near where I live called Reculver. And there's a fairy woods there where people have gone and made fairy doors and put fairy things there. So I took Harriet around there to have a look around. We've been there a few times before. And normally what we do, we park a bit of the way away. Then we walk along the seafront to get to Reculve because there's a park there and a little cafe. So we, we go there for a little bit of a, a bit of a jaunt. But to, not this weekend, we chose to go the other way. So we walked towards Herm Bay, which was lovely. bit longer walk than we anticipated, but luckily... Uh, it wasn't too much grumbling from Harriet because we uh, went to a went to Herne Bay Pier, which was lucky due to some you know relaxations of COVID restrictions. We could go on the well, I say we Harriet could go on the bouncy castle, the carousel. Um, so yeah, it was a really really nice day, and obviously topping things off with an ice cream. And for the first time, I think in oh a very long time, we had lunch out at a little cafe in Herne Bay. I'm not going to name it because the food was not great, but uh. I was eating outside with my family, which was very, very pleasant. But I will put this out there. I, I had nachos, which mm. is lovely, and you expect it to have salsa, which is always good, on top of the nachos and cheese on top. Cheese was on top of the nachos. Great. Interestingly, I thought instead of salsa, I had some kind of tomato sauce, sort of pizza sauce, pizza base, instead of salsa. Hmm, that doesn't sound quite right. Do you think they ran out of salsa, possibly? Um, I, ever... just, I, I was going to say, I just have a horrible feeling that's how they did them. So, hmm. yeah. Bizarre. Hmm. It wasn't, wasn't my, uh, my favourite. Oh, okay. Well, shame about that. Was the uh, weather good? We had sort of okay weather over the weekend. Um, Saturday was good. I think Monday turned a bit uh, wetter. But yeah, it's okay over the weekend. Uh, was it all right to sit out in the pub garden? Oh, it was really nice. And then on, on Bank Holiday Monday, um, we walked to our local farm shop. Nice. So they they had, before Harriet was born, they had a really nice farm cafe. Really, really tasty. Excellent plowmans. And then standards started to slip. And just before COVID hit, they changed ownership. And the standard of the food was not great. We sat there for an hour and a half one time waiting for someone to make us a bacon sandwich. Hmm. And it's when things like that kick in and it, it wasn't great, but they've got new owners there now. And we wandered along. We had, um, I had their homemade sausage roll, which was incredible. So tasty. 
So good. And they, so really, really happy. So I definitely, they call it for the love of uh, food, loves Thanet. And it's like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> I noticed yesterday they were serving pie and mash for takeaway. I didn't uh, didn't brave it. I had myself a lovely millionaire shortbread protein shake for my lunch yesterday. Uh, but but it's been it's been quite good. So obviously, as we said, we've been quite busy in our weekends. Have you been in the kitchen cooking anything other than our recipe of the week? Uh, we've done a few things this weekend. So um, kind of touching on your point of going out to a uh, an actual place to eat. Uh, we did the same on Saturday. So I had work in the morning and I finished about 1pm and then I met Amy at the uh, at what's going to be one of our new locals for when we move to our, our new place. Um, so as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we are in the process of buying, which we're kind of at that stage now where we're just waiting for surveys to happen and things like that. So a bit of a waiting game currently. But once that's done, which I think is happening next week, um, we should be rolling a bit more of that. So we should be in fairly soon, all being well, fingers crossed, touch wood. Um, but yeah, we went to a um, a pub which is going to be local to our new place called the Fox Inn. And we had a very pleasant experience. Um, we had a little drink there and we got some food as well. And um, again, I kind of stuck with uh, eating vegetarian food when ordering out and I had a um, very simple just a jacket potato with cheese and beans but you know can't go too far wrong with that and I have to say that is one of my favorite toppings anyway so I don't feel like I was missing out on um, having a tuna or something like that with it um, and Amy had a garlic mushroom panini which was by uh, her reports very nice wouldn't be for me what if too many mushrooms in but um, yeah <laughs> but, no we had a really nice time and we got a nice vibe from the place as well uh, the owners were lovely the beer garden is very nice, nice and spacious, so we can, you know, spread out and not have too many people uh, sat on top of each other, not literally, but figuratively. Um, yeah, very good experience. Um, other than that, we've been in the kitchen trying to sort of use things up, really. Again, we're in the process of moving, so we're trying to whittle down the things in the fridge and freezer and the and the cupboard. Um, so we actually found a bit of... Uh, beef mints in the freezer which has been there since our last trip to the butchers that kind of shows how how often we buy meat really nowadays um and we we used it to make burgers which were fantastic so we um used the beef mints we chopped in some finely chopped shallots um finely chopped chilies uh an egg to bind it all gave a good old squishing together made some burger patties and then Stuck it in the uh, George Foreman grill, served it in a flowery bap, um, topped with um, cheese, that proper like American plasticky cheese as well. And it was uh, really unhealthy, but it tasted good. Um, with avocado and onion rings on the side as well. Oh, and Amy made some really, really nice um, homemade potato skins. Um, so just bake a potato, uh, scoop out the innards, or cut it in half, scoop out the innards, um, chuck in... Uh, she put in chives and spring onion um, and a little bit of cheese as well stick it back in the um, the casing of the potato um, put it back in the oven for a while kind of let that all cook together and um, the cheese melt in and you've got really really nice homemade potato skins and if it's your thing as well to uh, maybe want to put a little bit of bacon in there if you guys do enjoy a bit of meat and things um, a little bit of bacon in would be um, grand as well, I'd imagine. So, yeah, we've done a bit. Um, again, just try to sort of get through all the things that we have in the in the house already without having to buy too much more stuff. I know our moving day is probably going to be way off still, but uh, we're, we're quite hopeful, I suppose. <laughs> 
I'm really glad you mentioned the fox because <laughs> I have a wonderful little anecdote about that um, public house establishment from when I was a lot younger. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, I have to be quite careful about this because sometimes my wife does listen to this food podcast. I'm pretty sure she's aware of this story. I'm pretty sure I've told her once. But in many moons ago, before I'd even met my now wife, um, I went on a date at the fox in river you fox (laughs) well it's certainly going to turn from a fox to a cad (laughs) as this story (laughs) develops so um i'm i'm chatting to this this girl who i found out in the initial meeting was the daughter of one of my bosses at my first job as an accountant (laughs) oh uh, interesting Okay. So already I'm thinking this is a dangerous game to play. Mm. But, you know, with a man whose name is definitely not Lewis, it is certainly danger. I thought I will definitely play this dangerous game. Anyway, went on this date with this girl. We started obviously chatting by text message because this was before the joys of, you know, well, I suppose WhatsApp and stuff like that. So we're talking a very, very long time ago. And we went to the Fox and... Obviously, as if you are not aware of this pub, probably aren't in the lovely uh, town of where you're moving to, there's a lovely sort of bay window at the front. Now, we were sat there, and I... This girl was very, very boring. Very attractive girl, but very, very dull. And as time went on, I found out that sort of one of her jobs was essentially in, you know, in research, which involved animal testing and at that stage i was like you know what everyone's gonna have a job but animal testing i think i can't really get on board with this i'm not having a great time anyway she popped to the loo and i'm just sat there in this bay window and i think to myself i'm just gonna go i'm not gonna tell her I'm, i'm just gonna go so i obviously thought about it for a couple of minutes and i thought if you're gonna go you've got to go (laughs) <laughs> so ran ran out of the door and then turned left out of the pub and ran up the high street again i'm not familiar with this place little yeah. did i realize i'd run the wrong way from where i parked my car oh no yeah. so by this time i'd kept running and i was like where's my car did and you, then i thought did you park in the I, car park around the corner i did yeah so i'd gone the wrong way you went onto the main the road street. didn't you Yep. So obviously, <laughs> the only way to get back to the car would be to go back past the pub window <laughs> where we were sat. What did you do? Did you crawl underneath the window ledge so you couldn't be uh, located? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just ran back past the window. <laughs> <laughs> do you think she had any idea? Did you look in as you went by? No, never make eye contact. <laughs> so I literally, so I ran back in, ran around the corner, jumped in the car, and then just drove away at a reasonable speed limit as fast as i could i mean i should have you know looking back at it as a a, you know as a more mature human being now ish (laughs) i should have i should have just made an excuse that i'm terribly sorry i have to go now it was nice to meet you rather than leaving her abandoned in the pub but just when you mentioned the fox i thought ah yes nothing like an awkward humiliating dating experience (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious um yeah i mean i'm sure we've all had things like that and that we've done um but no great story Stu. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor 
poor girl, poor girl. <laughs> I mean, I didn't so, see her when I went in at the weekend. I think she's got the idea by now. <laughs> I bloody well hope so. I mean, in, in fairness, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm sure she's moved on, found a lovely person. Now, you were talking like 10, 15 years ago now, this would have been. But that was my experience. That, And in fairness, though, lovely pub. And I'm sure it's still just as lovely as it was then. But you know. Yeah, we got a good impression from the place. So, uh, yeah, so far, so good. A wonderful establishment to an abandon a date. <laughs> <laughs> the best. <laughs> and and maybe in in you know in the real world or in modern times, post COVID or pre COVID, maybe I should have offered to cook her a meal, which links nicely into food in the news. Hey, lovely link. No, <laughs> no professionals. Set them up, <laughs> knock them out of the park. This is this is why we get all the endorsements. <laughs> See, so you've gone from uh, essentially dumping your date to <laughs> presenting food in the news well done <laughs> it's a trend i mean on, on another podcast that i do my transitions are getting even worse <laughs> it's just li- crowbarring the transition in but this wasn't too bad <laughs> but the reason why i mentioned cooking dinners and we've seen you know if you listen to this food podcast you're either a foodie like us you're quite proficient in the cook kitchen or maybe you're not so confident so We've noticed over the pandemic, a lot of people, and including some of our friends who we know through wrestling, have started using some of these meal kits like HelloFresh or, or Gourmet, I think it's, or Gassimo, whatever it's called, that they, they have these, these meal kits in. And HelloFresh essentially have released their, their financials for the year. And HelloFresh have seen a big jump in their customer numbers. They continue to benefit from the trends of sort of online food ordering. It's got 7.3 million active users globally, and, and and that's in the first three months of 2021. It's up 74.2% from a year earlier. Wow. So if you're unfamiliar with these meal kits, they basically pre-portion all of your ingredients, give you a recipe, and allow you to cook your meals. Now, I know during the, the peak of the pandemic in the UK, there were some complaints to some of these meal companies that some ingredients were missing and sometimes they weren't as fresh as they wanted to. HelloFresh claimed to have addressed this. But I started thinking about these meal kits. So obviously, it's quite expensive to have these items delivered to your door. But on the subject of food wastage, if you've got the exact amounts you need for every bit of cooking... It's, it's a great idea, and especially if you're not a confident chef, if everything's pre-packaged, pr- you know, essentially, you might have to dice your chicken or things like that to cook things. But it allows people to get a bit more confidence in the kitchen. I know sort of our mutual friend Dan he does a lot of these cookings and posts things on social media of the meals that he cooks. And the meals, for someone who, you know, by his own admission, wasn't a great chef, they look great. The results he's getting are really good. But I was wondering, as someone like yourself who is quite confident, competent and confident in the kitchen what's your view on these essentially pre-packaged here's your ingredients here's your fresh ingredients though cook this recipe and you can have three or four meals a week from this box i think for people who as you say who aren't very confident in the kitchen they're probably a great idea and i suspect from that also it will allow them to do more in the future so it's kind of like a progressive step into cooking, I suppose, because it kind of gives you that confidence to have those ingredients in front of you with the instructions on what to do. And it's precisely what you need as well. Um, It's not something I would go down the route of doing myself, but that might be because I am happy kind of going out, collecting the ingredients and then 
um, cooking them and finding my own recipes and things like that. Uh, having said that, it might be something that I would have done a few years ago, possibly when you know my cooking wasn't as confident. Maybe if it was a around just after getting out of university and things, that would have been a kind of ideal time to maybe take advantage of that um, service. Um, I don't know. The other thing is, I, I I don't know, and you might be able to enlighten me on this one. What the the packaging is like in these things as well, because I'd imagine it comes in a lot of separate bags and plastic waste and all that sort of stuff. So I think from an environmental point of view, and you could correct me here, um, I'm not sure if they would be uh, to my kind of liking from that point of view. Through what I've seen, as you said, it's it's a lot of packaging. Mm. I think similar to when we mentioned the earthen wheat box uh, last week, it's as it's a relatively new company, I think it, time progresses. But when I looked at the financials, and this is just for January to to March of 2021. And considering, you know, it is a global company, so they're, it's a German firm and it operates across Europe, the US, New Zealand. Their profits for the first three months of the year had doubled to 1.44 billion euros, which is essentially 1.25 billion pounds. So wow. when this level of, and again, you know, their profits is, uh, so double check, I've got that right. So yeah, oh, sorry, their revenues doubled. So when you're looking at a company with income of £1.25 billion, I can imagine their costs are quite high as well, because obviously if you're sourcing fresh ingredients, you've got this global delivery network. Again, hopefully it's done on a a sensible, eco-friendly logistics standpoint. I'd like to see a company that makes that amount of money um, be a bit more um, eco-friendly, which sort of links on again to something that, you know, it's it's mixing my day job, but with the food podcast. So coming into force from the 1st of April 2022, and this is going to be something that's going to impact a company like HelloFresh, there's something called uh, plastic packaging tax that the governments are going to start adding to importers and manufacturers of plastics in the UK. So you're, you're essentially going to be charged per tonnage of plastic you consume or you you produce or you import so i think having these taxes brought in either they're going to be passed on to the end consumer which isn't great or it's going to force a business and i'm not picking on HelloFresh because again i don't know the facts about you know the recyclability of their their packaging but if it's something that doesn't use you know reusable or, or recyclable packaging the concept of having to pay a massive tax levy might make a company like that, with such high revenues, sort of pivot to look for alternative, more environmentally friendly measures. So I think things like, and, and that's in fairness, that's the government are trying to do things with regards to the environment on taxes. You know, we've looked at some of the aviation bits before in previous podcasts. We haven't really looked at the soft drink levy for sugary drinks where they're taxing people on having those drinks. And I know those costs are passed on to the consumer because you see a bottle of regular Coke costs more than a bottle of Diet Coke if you go into a fast food restaurant. Yes. These, and these will cost more now. And didn't they um, shrink the size of the regular Coke bottle as well? So it's actually a smaller quantity so they don't have to charge as much tax or be charged as much tax or something like that. Because per... Yeah unit of coke there's less sugar in that bottle i, I, I don't know the ins but they, they shrunk it to kind of bypass it didn't they i think 
Exactly. So there are a couple of uh, dodges in place, similar way to you know everyone saying, well, a Mars bar's not as big as it was when when I was younger. Well, first of all, you've grown up. So a king size <laughs> Mars bar back in the day will probably be fun size now because you can normally consume one in a couple of bites. But I think things are moving in the right direction, and businesses, big businesses, obviously have to be held accountable for their environmental action. So hopefully bringing these taxes on those bigger companies and obviously this isn't going to impact the smaller companies because i know some smaller companies they've got much smaller profit margins so if they were hit with a you've got to send your your produce out in plastic packaging everyone should be trying to if they if they are inclined to do so find a way to be a little bit more greener but it's certainly not aimed at the smallest business like the independent shop who's going to have a mail order business that they're going to get hammered for have sending things in plastic packaging. But yeah. I wonder if as time goes on, it's going to, to stretch out. Speak, speaking a, of which, Stu, um, just thinking of our friends at Earth and Wheat, did you get round, or did you, I know you're very busy at the moment of work and things, did you get the opportunity to be able to email them and um, suggest about the packaging? I emailed them yesterday. Because, right. uh, so I haven't had a response now as I quickly uh, scan through my emails and I look through my junk folder in case it's gone there. Cause, cause, I uh, haven't had anything. Nothing back. Because last week we discussed the fact that Earth and we are sending out bread that would otherwise be thrown away. So very, very good for reducing food waste. Um, however, just a little kind of niggle perhaps would be that they are using plastic to package it up. Um, if they could figure out a way of not having to do that, it'd be a, a ideal kind of um business model from my kind of principles i suppose uh so yeah i did mention the tax last week uh it's true last week sorry um and uh yeah you fired an e- email away and look forward to kind of hearing what they come back with yeah and i'm sure i'm sure they will respond i think uh, again for giving a company sort of 24 hours that's i said for my own uh busy work life has sort of jumbled i should have sent it when we recorded last friday to give them a bit more time to reply but again they had a bank holiday weekend as well so yep. i'm sure they will get get back to us with that but i i've also found i i saw a rather an eye-catching headline which i thought linked quite nicely to yours and amy's um attempts to move further away from from meat and i saw this news headline brace yourself for the slight over dramatization of and, and a sensationalistic headline <laughs> Two-thirds of Brits would rather die early than give up meat. <laughs> oh, dear. Good old Brits. So, <laughs> so um, it suggests that 67% of people would rather reduce their life expectancy by five to ten years than give up meat, according to a new national survey. So a survey of 2,000 people conducted by one poll on behalf of No Meat May, who I think is a distant relative of uh, TV personality James May, um, <laughs> Also found that more than half, well, this is where again where you get sensationalistic heads. More than half, fifty-one percent of British men and women associated a diet that contains a lot of meat of being masculine, while vegetarian, thirty-six percent, and vegan, thirty-five percent diets are seen more feminine. I mean, I don't want to be overly rude in this, but what sort of moron <laughs> took this survey and, and, and said, oh, if you're a vegetarian, that's that's a very feminine diet. <laughs> it's oh, so backwards. It's really backwards. <laughs> I'd much rather be feminine uh, than destroy the earth and destroy my colon <laughs> by eating too much meat all the time. Um, it's, it's You know, the thing is, it's educational, isn't it? They These people who have been asked haven't bothered to 
educate themselves or haven't been educated on the on the kind of cons of eating meat. And again, I'm not saying that everyone should stop eating meat, but just think about reducing it. It has so many positive impacts, not just on your health, um, but on the environment, on animal welfare. Like if you, you, there must be something there to appeal to your senses that makes you want to at least reduce meat. Um, it's just ridiculous. And the last thing it is, is feminine. To be caring is not feminine. That's just human nature. Um, so those people can go swivel. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you like to hear some more, more wonderful stats from the people who took this survey? So obviously, yes, people think that a meat-based diet is masculine and a vegan and vegetarian is feminine. Well, one third, not correct, 30% <laughs> of men believe humans are meant to eat meat compared to less than a quarter of women. But this is, this is, these are the stats that I enjoyed the most. <laughs> more, than, more than one in 20... 6%, someone's loving their maths here on this this uh, this survey, also <laughs> said they'd rather go to jail than stop eating meat, rising to 11% for those aged between 25 and 34. You would rather go to jail where you can't pick <laughs> what you eat so they'll give you meat or not meat whilst you're in jail. I mean, this is incredible. So they'd rather um, have their freedoms taken away completely than... Stop eating meat. That's just insane. Who were these people that were asked these questions? Were they cavemen or? <laughs> I mean, whoever won poll uh, survey. But you know, again, a few other stats. Twenty percent, twenty-seven percent of men would rather give up coffee, and nineteen percent would rather give up alcohol than meat. Hmm. <laughs> this is the this is the greatest one. <laughs> so they're happy to go to prison. They're happy to give up coffee. They're happy to give up alcohol. But 18% also said they'd stop eating meat if it improved their sexual performance. Uh, <laughs> I see. So it all comes around to that then. So if it's oh. going to uh, yeah, help that out, then they'll happily chow down on some uh, on veggies or whatever. Um, oh, man, which I think which is, a growing, which is a glowing reference of how they want to interact because they'd rather go to prison than give up meat, but they'd happily give up They'll go to jail, <laughs> but if it means they can be renowned amongst their partner, <laughs> it, it, is in, it is incredible. And I mean, in, I'm not going to lie to them. If they go to jail, it certainly will be no meat may. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, don't bend over and pick up the soap because... Uh, <laughs> I mean... You, we're, we're, you might get a different type of meat. <laughs> Primo. And one other thing, which is is not a surprise, uh, also on the uh, on the same news channel, because I like to go for some serious news, like our plastic tax and uh, HelloFresh's profits, and showing how that's changing our the ways we eat and where we cook. But also on the same uh, uh, where I found the wonderful news about uh, from one poll survey. Eating too much salt can weaken immunity and make you pro more prone to illness. Well, hang on a minute. We already know that salt is bad, but I thought, well, let's dig into this a bit more. Obviously, salt can add to things like heart disease, but I wasn't aware that some research has been undertaken suggests that the more salt you consume could impact on your immunity. Obviously, based on this news heading, there's other than the, the University of Blank have done this research and it looks like it could happen. But it did start making me think again in a similar link to what we touched on last week about the, the zero fizzy drinks making me hungry. 
people who have a high salt diet tend to get more poorly. But I would also suggest, it's just in general, if you have a higher salt diet, it probably means that your health isn't in the best shape. And if you're not in a great uh, physical condition, you are more likely to get ill anyway. Yeah, it's kind of that butterfly effect, isn't it? It starts somewhere and then it spreads out. Um, yeah, okay. Interesting. I mean, there's no surprises there, is there, really, that salt's bad for you? Um, yeah. And I thought it was interesting that, again, it suggests, obviously, it not only stunts the immune system, but also hinders your metabolism as well. Yeah. So, 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 so are they claiming that it's a direct link or, like you say, it's more of a knock-on effect? It's it's basically saying it's it's a direct link between mm. your immunity and the amount of uh, salt consumption. Okay, yeah, interesting. I've not heard that one before. Uh, I'll certainly read around that one. Um, but like you say, it's more likely um, not knocking the science at all. But obviously, you do have that sort of knock on effect if you're eating salt. Your diet probably isn't as healthy as it can be, and as you quite rightly say, Stu. Um, you have huge amount of knock-on effects from there. You know what doesn't have salt in it, though? What doesn't have salt in it, Stu? <laughs> Our recipe of the week! Yay! <laughs> and what a recipe it was. Oh, my goodness. So we mentioned last week uh, on our podcast that you can go back and listen to in our archives on your podcast app of preference. I got quite a lot of crumpets in my earthen wheat box. Yes. Um, I should have mentioned as well that I got some pita breads, I got some wraps, and this week I've used the pita breads where we made homemade kebabs. And last night, my wife, using some of the leftover wraps, made a chicken fajita pie. Oh, very is, nice. Which is, which is very, very nice. So layering up the, the wraps. Um, essentially, it was like a fajita lasagna using wraps instead of uh, lasagna sheets. But again, it's very, very tasty. But hmm. as mentioned... Um, and, and Simon mentioned this when he reached out to us on Twitter at that food pod. I received 24 crumpets in my um, earthen wheat box. And that's, we do like crumpets. That's a lot of crumpet. <laughs> People probably stopped eating meat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so I thought, I wonder if I can find a recipe with crumpets. And then I thought, well, there's unlikely to be much on a main other than Here's a crumpet and let's do some poached eggs and salmon or smashed avocado on a crumpet. Mm-hmm. So I found the recipe which we went through, which is the maple and pecan crumpet bread and butter pudding. Now, we mentioned this on the pod last week that the, uh, the calorific value of this recipe was 819 calories per portion. And I'll just run down a very simplistic list of ingredients. So we had to use three eggs, one egg yolk, 100 grams of caster sugar, 400 ml of whole milk, 400 ml of double cream, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, that's the calorie kicker right there, 100 ml of maple syrups, 10, uh, it said 10 square toaster crumpets, I just used my round crumpets because that's what I had for my earthen wheat box, 50 grams of butter, 125 grams of sultanas, and 150 grams of pecans. So you can see why with the high sugar, high maple syrup, high, you know, full milk, double cream, why the calorific value of this dish was quite high. Did you have any issues sourcing any of these ingredients this week? Oh, Stu, all the carbs, every single carb you could ever imagine in this one dish. Um, No, didn't have any issues getting hold of any ingredients, all fairly simple. Um, Bit of a shock 
when uh, I went to Waitrose to buy some of the ingredients and they probably cost like twice as much as it uh, might normally do if I were to go to uh, a Tesco's or a Lidl or even Sainsbury's. Um, but apart from that, it was okay. Um, but no, this is great. Really, really fun recipe to cook. It's perfect for a bank holiday weekend. Um, we actually made this on Sunday afternoon whilst listening to some music in the kitchen and very much safe in the knowledge that there was no work the following day because in the UK we've just come off a uh, public holiday, as we mentioned at the start of the pod, so we had Monday off. Um, very happy, very content content making this dish. Um, obviously, the first step, which we'll talk about, is making the custard. Um, so that involves mixing the um, the eggs, yolk, caster sugar into a bowl and giving it a bit of a whisk. Um and then you add in the milk, cream, vanilla, maple syrup, um, and you whisk that smooth, and then you sieve it through a, uh, a sieve into a jug. Um, how did you get on kind of with the process of cooking? Did you have any issues getting the ingredients, and how did you get on? I had no issue getting the ingredients. The only issue I had was disca- dis- yeah, deciding what quality of maple syrup I was going to go for, because I think one of the things, especially if you went to Waitrose, the most expensive ingredient for this dish would either be the pecan nuts or the maple syrup. Ah, uh, so I actually had some maple syrup in the cupboard uh, from a previous thing that I cooked. Um, you know, they use kind of maple syrup and syrups in um, a lot of Asian sauces and things like that. Um, so I think that's why I had it uh, for when I kind of was doing a lot of Asian cooking. Um, so I actually had it there available. It was the pecan nuts that really kind of hyped the price up on this one for me i think it i think it was they're so expensive I mean, and the worst thing was again we already had some pecan nuts in the cupboard but we didn't have enough i, I think we had a, a small amount which would have been just a token gesture so i had to go out and get some more pecan nuts but again already fine i enjoyed the whisking i was interested by the sieving process but i was yeah. surprised there was some actual residue in the sieve there was when, so, I, when I tipped them out. Yeah, I was the same. I I thought, obviously, doing the as per the the recipe suggests. Um, but as a part of me, there's kind of thinking, is it worthwhile? But upon sieving it, it actually does produce. I think it's like sugar crystals, isn't it? Um, yeah. Which were left over. Um, so yeah, there was, I guess, a point in doing that. Um, although saying that, those sugar crystals would have caramelized in the dish wouldn't it if you didn't uh if you didn't sieve it which been maybe a, a nice touch but hey again kind of for the pod we certainly follow the the recipe best we can with these ones um have you did you get the chance to kind of look into the history of uh bread and butter pudding at all i didn't i was too busy updating my health insurance for what uh, was about to happen <laughs> Good, wise choice so obviously we had a bit of a twist on this one we used uh crumpets um kind of dictated by your delivery from earth and wheat um and a great again brilliant way to kind of use up those uh excess crumpets that you had uh delivered to you but actually the original bread and butter, bread and butter pudding um historians Deemed to be able to trace it back to the 11th and 12th century. And kind of like some of the other dishes that we've looked at, it's a, a way that some of the poorer class can use up um, items in the kitchen. So, or frugal cooks as well. Um, they were just looking at ways to use up stale leftover bread instead of letting it go to waste. So, you know, very much um, 
uh, I wouldn't say ahead of their time, but different times, wasn't it? So they're looking at ways to reduce waste and I suppose more of a cost-saving exercise back then. Um, and it's a uh, 13th century that actually the pudding was known as a poor man's pudding. Um, as it was a very pecan nuts in then. <laughs> no, they certainly didn't go to Waitrose to get their pecan nuts. Um, but as a you know popular dish within the lower classes, um, and it's only really kind of uh, you know recently where it's become a bit of a um, uh, a feature dessert in trendier establishments, shall we say? So you know it has had humble beginnings, um, but I think over sort of last few years it has become kind of almost fashionable. Um, I do have a little tip on um on how to make your bread and butter pudding uh even more effectively so if you are using bread um using stale bread is important because it absorbs liquid ingredients more easily so you kind of get that uh the bread kind of soaks up the flavors from the custard that you make um so even if you don't have stale bread dry the bread out for you know like 10 minutes or so before actually sticking it in so it actually dries up properly and then you can really absorb all those flavors do you think the crumpets added to this dish do you think they're able to absorb the flavors effectively well i think because the next step is you had to you had to butter the crumpets cut them in half and put them in sort of haphazardly in the uh, in the tray i did worry when it said use a two liter dish and at that stage i was like oh crikey this is going to be huge. Um, and then obviously you sprinkle over the pecans and the sultanas and then you pour over the custard and you leave them to soak for half an hour before um, before popping it in the oven. That's right. Now, yeah. as, as a crumpet fan, I do sometimes find that if you have something like jam or if you're being a little bit more extravagant, things like honey on crumpets, that obviously everything will go through and seep through and sometimes you get it on the bottom of the plate. So I wasn't too worried about the absorption and, and and getting soggy as such but i did think that because of the formation of a crumpet i thought it'd probably be a bit tougher than a bread and butter pudding not something you could just cut through easily with a spoon mm-hmm. yeah it was when you um so then once you've buttered your bread and butter pudding uh, sorry your crumpet sorry and then you stick it into your two liter dish uh, actually we did do a half portion for this one because we we can't afford uh, afford health insurance right now, so <laughs> no, only joking. No, we, we did half portions this time, um, just because it is a big dish, and uh, we didn't want to do that to our uh, arteries this week. Um, so we did do half portions, but um, yes. So once you've done the crumpets, you've buttered them, you put them into your your dish, you then put over the the custard. Um, at which point you put it into the oven for fifty to fifty five minutes at 150 degrees C if it's fan or 170 degrees C uh, if it's a conventional oven. Um, we did it for a little bit less just because it was a, a, a smaller portion um, and I was sort of checking fairly regularly just to see you know if it's um, if it wasn't being overcooked. Um, but yeah, once you take out the dish, um, the tops is kind of, kind of browned off a little bit just where I guess the sugars have caramelized and cooked. Um, and then once you cut into it, uh, like you say, Stu, not as easy to get through um, as you might find with a bread and butter pudding, but it's fine. Like really, really, um, kind of, it's, I quite like that contrast though. Like the top was 
crispy and crunchy for me at least anyway and then the bottom was a little bit softer and to have those two different contrasts uh, whilst you're eating to have that crunch and the sort of the, the softness of the ones underneath that were maybe seeped in more of the custard um for me it was a really nice kind of combination um how did you find it to eat once it's all cooked i think it worked really well as you said having the the soft and the crunch worked well together because when i showed this dish to my wife and said this is what we're having her first response was but what are we having it with does it go with cut does it go with custard does it go with ice cream i said oh no 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 because it's already 819 calories a portion and we're probably going to end up eating this whole thing between us so we need to be very careful (laughs) um but i think having the contrast of textures plus the custard element you didn't really need anything to go with it no, I thought it worked. I thought it worked really well. The, having the crunch of the the pecan nuts as well mm-hmm. um, really added to it, and it was delicious. I ate this watching uh, the final the finale of Line of Duty. It was added to a lovely weekend. I think from my standpoint, um, the fact that my wife kept going back to the the tray and picking at it with a spoon goes to show how popular it was. And she did say to me yesterday, if we ever have people over. We're going to have to cook that again for the pudding. Oh, At that stage, I was horrified because that meant people must be coming over soon. And that annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a fine endorsement uh, from Leanne there. So that is a good sign. Um, but yeah, I mean, we really enjoyed this. We had it actually in the afternoon um, on the Sunday whilst watching the um, F1 Portuguese uh, Grand Prix on Sky F1, which I've eventually caved and forked out for. Um, they've hiked up the prices this year, and I was like, nope, not paying that. Um, uh, but, yeah, I've, I've, I've gone ahead and paid for it, so here we go. Um, but it's very nice anyway, um, sitting there with a cup of tea, watching F1 in the afternoon on a Sunday. Absolutely, again, perfect dish for a Sunday afternoon, um, Stu. So thank you for picking this one. Really enjoyed it. Um, a very nice experience overall. Really fun to cook. Really easy to cook as well um kind of that's what i think cooking should be all about it should be about relaxing and enjoying yourself um when it becomes too stressful i think you're probably uh, either doing it wrong or doing it for the wrong reasons but i love this one yeah absolutely excellent dish unsurprisingly it is not going to make it into a regular rotation for me purely based on the calorific value of you this is certainly a, a very much a treat pudding i mean like leanne said i think if you can if you can pull this off again, how I think we've both done quite a successful job of it this week. If you can pull this off as a sort of a showpiece dessert for your yeah. guests, I think this is a, an excellent family pudding, a sharing pudding. You don't want to have it after something quite heavy. I think in the evening before that, we'd had um, quite a light chicken stir fry to go with it um, and then saved it for later. Because again, where we'd had quite an indulgent bank holiday weekend poor harriet didn't even get to try this so i thought right you've had an ice cream on the pier i'm not gonna over sugar you because you're far too young you don't have the opportunity to write this wrong um so me and leanne took one for the team and slowly over the few days absolutely smashed that and obviously unsurprisingly the body guy project is going really well <laughs> maple and vegan uh, uh crumpet bread and butter pudding but um if you made this recipe um share your pictures with us on our social media platforms it's that food that food pod over facebook twitter and instagram we'd love to see how you got on and also if you enjoyed it because as as matt said this is a very easy dish to make and a lot of it could be made in advance so obviously you could have made the custard 
beforehand. You leave it soak for half an hour, pop it in the oven for up to an hour. So it it allows you to go and do other tasks and it's ready to go. It can be cooking while you're having family dinner. It, it was an all-round good recipe. I said it's it's not something I'm going to cook on a regular basis because I don't want to die. You know, if I wanted to die 10 years earlier, I'd just eat meat. <laughs> it's very calorific. Uh, certainly not one to make the regular rotation. Um, but great suggestion uh, on Leanne's part there. I do see this as a, a dish for... Um, Dish for friends, something that you can cook up if you're having people over, uh, even if you are begrudging them turn up at your house. It's, uh, it's uh, <laughs> something that can distract them for a little while. Um, no, great dish once again. Awesome. So the thing with this dish, though, it was, I'd say, fat content, again, quite high in consideration for what we've been uh, we've done so far and the final thing i I, on the subject of it so obviously everyone likes a pudding and one of the things i started asking again i really enjoyed it i thought it was a delicious pudding but would i pick this over something else and obviously i thought it was interesting you mentioned that bread and butter pudding is starting to feature more and more in restaurant pudding menus especially like country pubs you start seeing bread and butter pudding again you've started seeing sort of the comeback of spotted dick in there as well as as a pudding Mm. that people are going to start, you know, having again as that, I'd say retro vibe or sort of classic British pudding coming yeah, back. Yeah, it's certainly a, a re- retro revival with puddings, isn't there? I think with the, we did the pineapple upside down cake recently as well, didn't we? And actually, I don't know if it's like when you buy in a car, when you start looking at a car, you see a car all the time, but I've seen lots and lots of different like variations on an upside down um, cake, whether it's pineapple or other fruit. Um, but I think there's certainly this kind of retro vibe going on at the moment. People listen to the pod, Matt. That's all it is. That's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> N- Nigella was listening. She tweeted it after uh, she listened to our our podcast um, as her recipe of the week. So, yeah, there's no coincidence there, is there, mate? <laughs> if this was on a pub menu, though, so let's say you've got this, you've got a brownie, let's say you've got a crumble of some description, um, what other things are there? Or like a, an ice cream sundae. Yeah. Would this would this rank highly in your pudding choice, or because now you've ha- obviously now you've had it, it's not something you'd go, oh, that's new and exciting. But if this was on a list of puddings and someone said, okay, you can have this pudding, this pudding, this pudding, this pudding, where would you rank it? Uh, you know, to be honest, it'd be pretty low on my list. Like, it sounds bad after giving such a glowing review of this, but it's just because I suppose. It's just going back to kind of being a habitual meat eater. I'm also kind of a habitual pudding eater as well. I kind of stick to what I like with that sort of thing. I, I do, as you could tell by the fact that I'm doing this pod, I do like to explore with food and things like that. But I think I prefer to explore with food at home because it gives me the chance to be able to kind of process through the cooking myself. And if it goes wrong, you know, I've only got myself to blame. But if I'm going out to eat, there is a certain safety blanket in kind of try and stick to things that you kind of know so my go-to puddings is um whilst out would be a uh, sticky toffee pudding with custard um or uh, potentially a chocolate fudge cake um and that they would be my sort of two go-to things bread and butter pudding or or uh, certainly the crumpet pudding if i was to see this in a pub that would be two 
high risk, I think, for the potential for me not to enjoy it as much as the other two. Um, so if I'm paying, well, I was going to say £5 a pop for a dessert, but it's probably gone up, actually. Um, I would kind of stick to things that I know that I'm going to enjoy. How about you? Am I just being a bit of a stickler, <laughs> a bit of a you know, boring fuddy duddy there or what? <laughs> not at all. I I really dislike the risk of pudding in a restaurant. So that, normally when I'm in a restaurant, it's the starters excite me because yeah. it's a case of, oh, there, and there's always something on there um, that you go, oh, maybe I'll give that a try. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, if I'm having a starter and a main, it doesn't matter if I make a bad choice with my starter because there's a chance to recover it with the main. Yeah. No, whereas, I, with a pu- where, whereas with a pudding, the problem I find with puddings is, as most of them are already pre-prepared anyway, the pudding is normally of the lowest quality if you're out for a two or a three course meal. If you're having a main or a pud or having starter main and pudding, the pudding is always the most disappointing element, which is why normally, unless I'm really, really hungry... I would always go starter and main and yep. leave the pudding or go for a cheese board, depend on the, the the establishment and the cheeses they had on offer. I think that's the real answer, is that actually in reality, I probably wouldn't get a pudding. I, I have done, but I don't often. I'd rather put my money and my time into eating a starter or a main. And that is where I will explore a bit more. Um, but pudding is quite often in a pub disappointing in all honesty so i'd rather just go home and have a cup of tea and a biscuit when i get in or something like that um so yeah i think the real answer is i probably wouldn't buy anything i'd rather just go for a starter and a uh, a main yeah agreed I, I said i have a sweet tooth but i'm also not going to pay eight or nine pounds for something that's going to be disappointing oh yeah i know it's so expensive now isn't it to get a pudding it's ridiculous and that's the other thing as well i'm not willing to sort of fork out for that when you could just go pick up something from the supermarket on the way home um so yeah uh no I, i'd avoid it um if it comes with the the meal if it's like a set menu then yeah sure bring it on i'm gonna eat it i'm not gonna turn down food but um, <laughs> um <laughs> but i wouldn't go out of my way to uh choose one yeah same so dear listener what is your favorite pub pudding let us know on Twitter, Facebook. Send us a picture of it on Instagram. That food pod. I'd be interested to see what your favourite pudding is. We're also on Facebook. Following on from the chocolate discussion, I will be posting a bit later this week the discussion of ketchup, cupboard or fridge, because that's the next one in the uh, <laughs> in the criteria. I'm currently very disappointed because I've realised that I have a little bar of chocolate and I've deviated. I know we mentioned fruit and nut historically. But the other day, I spotted a chocolate bar, which was honeycomb and nut. Oh, that sounds interesting. I, I like the sound but, of that. But I haven't put it in the fridge yet. Oh. It's in my bag, and I'm a bit disappointed in myself. Uh, so I'm going to obviously have to refrigerate that before enjoying at a later date. I love honeycomb. Uh, I love nut, and I love chocolate. So I think that's going to be a fantastic combination. Get that in the fridge, Stu. Get it down here and let me know how you get on. Stu. I'd probably be feeling quite poorly. But yeah, yes. <laughs> what do you want to talk about, mate? We can either talk about, we can take this in the direction of nutrition um, with fat, or we can have a little word on pro wrestling if you want. Which direction do you want to take this in? Oh, I mean, 
I have a bit of fat in me and I also like pro wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about wrestling because I feel like I should a little bit. And I'm going to let you kind of direct the conversation, maybe interview styly. So just to put a bit of context on for those that um, don't know our wrestling or follow our wrestling as much as some of our other listeners, maybe. Um, Last week, I... Uh, Amy and I, I should say, announced that our wrestling promotion, South East Professional Wrestling, is going to be no more going forward. We've obviously not been able to operate um, throughout the pandemic, um, but it has given us time to kind of think about what we really want out of life going forward. And unfortunately, as of now, um, running a wrestling promotion isn't in the cards for us. And that's fine. We've kind of come to a very happy decision on that one. Um, But just maybe kind of spend a bit of time talking about the process of um, what it's meant to us over the years and how we got to the point of where we are now and also maybe try to tie it in a little bit with um, health and fitness as well from a coaching point of view. Um, I was going to do a little bit about uh, fat with nutrition kind of leading on from the high fat content of the uh, the dish that we had this week but we can we can uh, deviate and kind of go off the rails a little bit on this one. Do you fancy that Stu? Yeah, I mean, I think from 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 my standpoint, um, so I found your wrestling promotion. I think it was the tail end of twenty sixteen or early twenty seventeen. I'd had a brief run in professional wrestling in the mid two thousands. Shortly after I'd left school, I was trained to be an accountant, um, and I was wrestling um, and training in Ashford in Kent, which was the uh, the wrestling business has certainly improved significantly in the last 15 years from when I was training where they would essentially flog you until you were feeling so unwell and it was always pushed on cardio 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 and I'm pretty sure that there are some other training schools that also follow um, that concept as well but what I liked most about coming to train with your promotion was that it was focused on fitness, but a lot of the emphasis as well was put on get fit in your own time so you could focus on the technical aspect of being safe in, in professional wrestling. And I remember people, um, some of the guys would come and talk to you about certain exercises for free weights and bits and bobs like that. And seeing those people come to you and try and you know find ways to improve their own physical health and their own physical appearance because, you know, I I joke and obviously you know I'm trying to do this body guy experiment as part of this podcast, but I've never been someone where people look at and go, oh, he's a physical athlete. I I think from a professional wrestling standpoint, I've always been very much character driven. There no no one's going to look at me in a street and go look at this athlete. They're going to sit there and go look at this this troll <laughs> as they walk through, as in looking like a troll, not an internet troll. Um, so I think the process I enjoyed most being, um, and seeing this grows seeing these athletes mature and become very competent because one of the things i liked most about how you trained people is you help build up their morale and you help build up their confidence which then gave them that positivity and confidence to go out and try things in the gym you know the male and female wrestlers who may have not been confident to go into the free weights area at a gym now they've got that confidence through training with uh, Southeast Professional Wrestling, they could then go in there and, and experience new types of exercise and, and diversify 
their fitness regime, which I thought was a really, really positive thing for, for all the guys and girls in the promotion. I, I th- my philosophy, and I saw uh, a very good quote about a year ago now, I suppose, which kind of summed up the way I feel about training and pro wrestling in particular. Um, the quote is, and I might not do this justice completely, but something along the lines of that you're um, confident confident enough to perform but humble enough to train um and that means that you're you're prepared to perform and that you are ready and i i without being overly cocky i suppose and know your limitations and know what you need to work on and what you need to work towards and i think when you train correctly for anything whether that's pro wrestling or if you're trying to i don't know uh, just this springs to mind because I have a friend that's gone through the process recently, try to get into the police force and things like that. You do have a goal in mind, and if you train correctly for that goal, then you can make these things happen. And I was trained um, for some years at a company in Swindon called 4FW, Forefront Wrestling, um, by David Sharp and um, the Saints, or Simon, as, um, as we know him on Twitter. We talk about him. Uh, quite regularly on this show, actually. So thank you for listening, Simon, and um, thank you for your training previously as well. Um, but the philosophy there was that you do work on your uh, fitness uh, inside and outside of wrestling, and that gives you the confidence to perform because when you aren't um, – the term that we use in pro wrestling is blowing up – um, when you're not out of breath, when you're not knackered, you're able to concentrate on other things, which is important to a pro wrestler when they're performing. You're able to concentrate on the performance aspect of pro wrestling. You're able to um, concentrate on protecting yourself and protecting the person that you're working with. If you're unfit for the situation that you're in, you're more likely to hurt somebody or hurt yourself or not do a decent enough service for the people that have paid to see you perform um and those are the things that are important to us as performers and that's why people should be driven to be able to do the right things to get that certain amount of ring shape as we call it and there are certain elements of people's psychology that want to just learn all the moves and that's fine and we do but you have to have a certain level of base fitness to be able to get there in the first place Um, and that's why the fitness aspect of pro wrestling was so important to me and that's why I took it upon myself to go get my personal training qualifications and then go on to advance to my strength and conditioning coaching qualifications and that's meant the world to me because it's not just enabled me to be a better coach from a pro wrestling point of view, but it's actually enabled me to find work in a pandemic when I wasn't able to earn money as a pro wrestling promoter or pro wrestling coach. So those little steps that I've kind of taken upon myself to better myself as a pro wrestling coach have had huge knock-on effects, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, One thing that I remember Dave Sharp telling us um, was invest in yourself and other people will invest in you. And that's what I tell all my guys as well, because it rings true. 
Um, if you take the time to train correctly and um, think about your character um, and develop all the things that are going to make you a better pro wrestler, invest in, um, you know, again, a lot of aspect of pro wrestling is down to performance. Invest in decent gear that you wear, so decent boots, decent outfit for a kind of a term that a larger audience might be able to understand. Um, that's what's going to make you stand out, and that's what's going to make people want to invest their time and their effort and their money um, and their energies in you, and that's what it's all about. And that preparation that we talked about previously with the fitness side of things, that's a big part of it. Um, so if you are looking to get into pro wrestling or any other type of sport or hobby that you want to um, achieve highly in, um, do the work, do the prep work prior to that. I, and that's one of the main things that, that I took away from from training with you both at the at the wrestling school and also with with your strength and conditioning work and, and your work as a personal trainer. I knew going back into wrestling that my fitness was shocking. I felt maybe it was slightly arrogant on my standpoint. I thought, well, I can talk for days. I've got confidence in the ring. But it's having that ability to make sure I've got enough um, cardiovascular fitness to be able to look after myself and whoever I'm working with in the ring. But it also, it really focused my attention, as you said, on having a goal to get to. So when I first met you, considering to where I am now on my fitness levels, and yes, I know it's like a, a three, four year journey, etc. but it was installing that discipline. So again, when I first came to the training school, I was looking to be a manager, looking to be a commentator again, because I was like, oh, I'm in my mid-30s. I don't really think I can keep up with these young kids. But then obviously you get the itch to <laughs> get involved a bit more. I, want, I wasn't taking it overly seriously. And then it's when you started doing the lifting and the PT stuff. And it really embedded it in me. Now, I know we've made mention to our, our gimmick Apple Watches that we have, but I love the fact that I will want to exercise every day. I enjoy exercising every day. And it's now got me into a routine of having fitness as part of my lifestyle. And yes, again, I won't look at myself and go, yeah, I'm, I'm a, the finished article because I'm certainly not. And I'm certainly stronger than I was. I've got more muscle tone and definition than I was before. I'm certainly a lot lighter than I was when I first set foot in um, a, a Southeast professional wrestling ring. And it's just focusing on things like that. And it's that level of discipline that's coming. And also the mindset. I started thinking to myself, especially, which I think was the same thing in the culture that you bred in, in, in your wrestling school, is people wanted to work for you and your wrestling school with their goals. So everyone would work on their fitness because they wanted to make everyone better. They wanted to encourage everyone to be better. The great thing, and it's not to sort of build you up because, you know, we, we could do this off, off, off pod all the time. I think one of the greatest things that you installed in all of the trainees, whether it be through personal training or wrestling, was that it was a team effort. So I remember seeing some of like the Tuesday nights or the Thursday night classes you'd have. And there'd be people who hadn't finished a set of, of, of push-ups. And someone would go next to them and go and do more push-ups with them next to them to join in to help encourage them. And it, it was that teamwork that I thought that really helped. And also, 
it's the goals to get on wrestling shows. I, as, as an example, it's the same thing that, you know, I know we've mentioned about before when trying out for sports teams and having that base. I'd go and try out for a sports team and my base fitness would be shocking. If we're looking at football, I'd never get in the starting 11 because I could never do 90 minutes when I was playing Sunday League football. I would always be a sub and the worst thing would happen a couple of times when I would play and start from the get-go when we didn't have enough players because, you know, terrible at football but if we only have 11 players i get a game by about 70 minutes i can barely run and then i get cramp and then i'm useless for 20 minutes so i like i like the fact that i said from my personal standpoint it's given me confidence when gyms were open to go into free weights areas to do bits and bobs like that to try new things like the powerlifting stuff i mean i know we went and watched a powerlifting competition um in canterbury and just seeing these sort of 14 and 15 year olds <laughs> like lifting more than I could thinking crikey oh they're yeah. super strong it was inc- it was incredible and it just it gave a whole new appreciation for fitness and I, I know I've said this to you before but I, I genuinely I genuinely believe that being associated with your wrestling promotion and with your personal training has possibly added five to ten years onto my life because I've now got this level of fitness this much a much more you know a better concept of what is what is health and yes I want to watch the scales but my clothes fit okay I've got, I understand that if I'm becoming bigger with broader muscles and sort of going to that sort of v, v-shaped physique that just because my scales aren't shifting it doesn't mean I'm not getting healthier through what I'm doing and it's having that education which you know, from me to you, you know, it's, it's a big thank you because it has really helped my life and my motivations to carry on. And I thought originally it was just because, oh, I want to be in the wrestling ring. I want to make sure that if I'm in your promotion that I don't embarrass myself or you or whoever I'm in the ring with. And then especially in the last 12 months, it's been a case of now I'm in a contest with myself, but it's a healthy competition. If I don't work out, I get annoyed which is brilliant to me because it means that the next day, if I don't have the opportunity to work out, I work doubly hard to make up for it. So it's brilliant to be in that place. Yeah, and just to pick up on something that you said earlier, and I, it stood out, so I want to mention it. There's no, there's no one who is a finished article. There's always more work to be done. It's a process. It's a long, long journey. And it's actually fitness should be a permanent lifestyle it should be something that you consider every day and there's no there's no necessarily there's no end game particularly but that's part of the process and the reason that you want to do it every day and the reason why you get annoyed is because you formed habits now and that's a good thing and anything that you want to be good at you have to form habits because we don't always feel like working out we don't always feel like getting into the gym and I know I don't but those habits really help and long-term it's going to be beneficial. And touching on the point of teamwork, one of the things that I'm most proud of is that SCPW became a community. It wasn't just a pro wrestling promotion or training academy anymore. It became a community for people who had a passion that they could all share, um, but all from different backgrounds. And, there was a team element to it for sure. And I was very conscientious to form that thinking. Now, pro wrestling, I know from being involved in other promotions and I started in 2000 and 
one, I think it was. It can be very selfish. It can be a very selfish environment to be a part of. But actually, we all do much better mentally and physically when we work as a team. Um, and maybe that kind of, I don't want to say lack of selfishness because it makes me sound like a saint and I'm not, but that mindset might have been potentially detrimental to my career as a wrestler. Um, and I'll, I'll never know for sure. Um, but that's okay because I've managed to make other people's lives good. Um, yeah. I think that's a really nice outlook to have. And I think the main thing as well, especially if it's in a, a, a sports endeavor, you know, like you said, through your own selflessness, you have helped other, you've helped elevate others. I suppose, um, from this standpoint, it's not really to do with nutrition or food, really. It's, are you content with what you achieved or do you feel that by building this sporting community, do you feel that you've, you haven't achieved what you wanted to achieve in wrestling or the fact that a legacy of a group of men and women who will hopefully go on with their professional sports careers will then always t have the legacy of they were trained by you and your your wrestling school or or do you want to take it the selfish approach of by being selfish and developing these 10 15 fantastic talents that it hindered your own goals and aspirations i think it's it's a double-edged sword it's a double-edged answer really because i i have no regrets for what i've done for others and give them the opportunity to be able to perform and be a part of something that they love. Um, but I think in a roundabout way, the way the where I am now in my personal life is, is good. Like it, it's, I'm happy, but I'm also career wise, unsure of what comes next. And for me, that's a little bit unsettling, I suppose, because I think, no one ever really truly moves away from wrestling fully. And I think I'd welcome the opportunity to do more elsewhere. I just don't want to be the boss or running the business myself anymore. But from a life outside of wrestling, I'm now trying to find my feet of what is going to fit me for probably the rest of my life now. Um, as I mentioned, I've started up, um, uh, I'm going through Teacher Academy at the college that I work for. Um, so that is a potential avenue, but the training for that will take up to two, two years. In the meantime, I'm working in the gym, which is a job that I'm very thankful for. And again, it's something that I managed to um, get during a pandemic, which again, I know not everyone's that lucky, but not something I want to do for the rest of my life in all honesty and that's that's not a bad thing to admit so I think from a point of view of what next uh, I'm a little bit unsure but from a point of view of just looking at, at it as SEPW and nothing outside of that I'm very proud of what Amy and I achieved and I'm very proud of what everyone else has been able to achieve from it as well like yourself with 
your fitness and you're going to continue with that to guys like um, Nathan or Meathead, as his ring name was, um, to see him go from a huge wrestling fan to a guy who really started to get a grasp for the business and the psychology behind it. Um, he was a guy who would just love to jump off stuff and do big stunts, if you like. Again, just try to appeal to a wider audience. But he became so much more than that. He, he looked fantastic after training hard and his mind for the business really started to come through. He could really understand it. And that's the sort of thing that I'm very proud of. Um, and then you got people like Will Power, who uh, I know listens to the show. He was a great entertainer, even before he turned up, but he had a outlet to be able to do that in front of people and to give him that platform to be able to recognize what an entertainer he was and then give him that platform to be able to go out there and entertain our crowds was, again, a thrill. And I hope those guys do get the opportunities to continue if they wish. Um, I know not everyone's going to want to, um, but if they want to, I really hope that they get the chances that they deserve. Um, I suppose my only... Uh, no, I don't regret it, but the only thing that I wish I could have helped them more with was having contacts in bigger, uh, quotation mark, companies for them to get opportunities to be seen by more people. And part of my personality is that I'm not very good at kissing ass. Um, and again, possibly to my detriment, but I never had those links. And that's something that I really regret for them, I suppose. I never had the opportunity to be able to push them into other directions that may have got them seen by more people. Um, but, you know, again, that's fine. And to a certain extent, I hope that they find ways to do that for themselves. And I was never, ever against them going out and finding these opportunities. I know that you have. You've gone to other promotions and you've been very good at communicating with others and you've had lots of other opportunities. I'm very pleased to be able to be a part of that as well and see you work for other promotions, Stu, and that's great. Um, and for those that want to carry on, I really hope they do. And from a legacy point of view, I hope that in some small way, uh, people in Kent, at least, uh, remember SEPW fondly. I think that your legacy is definitely from a, especially from a Kent wrestling standpoint is going to be solidified because you were realistically the the only game in town I know there was another promotion that sort of delved into Kent a little bit but you always saw the feedback from their athletes and their shows and it's back to sort of the physical fitness element of things you know that a lot of those guys in those shows were not ready and I think from a coaching standpoint the great thing that you did, and again, as you said, and I, I've said on another podcast recently to do with uh, wrestling, is that your coaching style was important to the development of those people, both physically and mentally. You could have made a lot more money by just banging these these young people and these sort of experienced talents just on a show together and going, yeah, just work it out. Mm -hmm. But you actually made sure they took their time. As a coach, you made sure that those those guys and girls were ready to be safe yeah. and to also enjoy it. And I think, yeah, I think to fit to, to you know, I, I obviously, you know, we are 
two people who are very much fans of wrestling and obviously just trying to keep it on sort of a fitness standpoint. I was going to ask you to finish on the sports and physical aspects. Two of the things, what are the two things you're going to really, really miss about competitive physical wrestling? And what are the two things about professional wrestling on a physical standpoint you are not going to miss? (laughs) Uh, From a coaching standpoint of what I am going to miss it is um, seeing people develop and seeing people um, go from it's, they're always wrestling fans you, you never get people to turn up who aren't um, they always have a base knowledge of pro wrestling and it's to see them go from being a fan to a performer and seeing the journey in between like I've worked with one of the big ones that kind of stands out is um, Matt Terry, who I had his debut with, who went from a young man with no confidence to a guy who had a cracking debut match with me and then went on to have some fantastic matches with others in the company. And now he's putting that ethic into other parts of his life. He's in university now. He's studying a subject that he really enjoys doing. Um, and he's still got that, you know, invest in yourself and others will invest in you mentality. Then you've got the likes of uh, Keith and Sai, who um, went on to form a tag team, which they came in um, and they were really passionate for it. They weren't, and I mean this, um, they weren't, none of these guys are massively natural to pro wrestling as such, but they all put the work in and they all listened, and that's really important. Um, so seeing that development is going to be something that I miss. Um, just the community as well, and I, it's nice to have that kind of positive feedback from people, and, and I'll, I'll miss that community. And I hope that doesn't end. I think that will continue in some fashion. Um, I think there will be times where we can meet up, uh, that we will, and we'll go for a drink, and we'll go for something to eat, and I'm looking forward to those times, and I hope that... That can continue in some fashion. The things that I'm not going to miss, <laughs> Stu, is um, as a coach, you have to know, and you touched on this a little bit, you, people, you have to know when people are ready and you have to be prepared to push back. You have to be prepared and able to say no sometimes because people are very good at, promoting themselves and their own ideas and that's great but you have to be ready to execute these things and as a coach you have to know people's strengths and weaknesses and where they lie and where you can use them best um you're trying to tell me that that million pile idea of that maybe pile i suggest you for booking ideas is going to be burnt now (laughs) (laughs) yeah but for every five you at least have one good one (laughs) yeah i think that one was always stop talking (laughs) Um, no, your input was always very appreciated, Stu, and I mean that. Um, but you just have to know when to push back as well. It's, um, there's a, I think there's a certain mentality in pro wrestling coaching where people want to say yes all the time and yes, you can be on the show and yes, this, that and the other. And uh, that might be an element of people just wanting to be liked. Um, cause that's the other thing with pro wrestling, you have to be uh, coaching even you have to be prepared not to be liked sometimes as well um and i'm okay with that that's fine um and it's a way that you deliver that information that can continue that relationship with people um and yeah be be able to push back 
But yeah, so that's the one thing I'm not going to miss is people trying to sort of run before they can walk um, and then try to pull them in, I suppose. Um, however, it was all part of the process. The other thing that I'm really not going to miss is having to get up on uh, Sunday mornings and go to <laughs> to a cold unit in Folkestone um, and try to motivate other cold people who uh, are there to bump around on a, um, on a pro wrestling ring. So uh, now I'm very pleased to be able to gain my weekend back and um, uh, my occasional evenings, even though my current job is shift work. So I am working evenings every other week. Um, so that's a, that's something I'm, I'm very pleased about. And uh, Amy and I can sort of regain our weekends again and um, go on little adventures and stuff that we really enjoy doing. So that's the, that's the thing that I'm, I'm not going to miss so much. And, and, you know, and, and to finish off, We've still got the opportunity, you and I, to go and challenge for the tag belts in Belgium. That's an open invite. So once we're allowed to train again and things are settled down with house buying, I'm bedded into my new job. Both of us seem brave enough to take that first bump after not doing it for well over a year. <laughs> and once we do it, so, yeah, you're right. We'll just go to Belgium for a food trip. I think that's 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 going to be the best thing. And I said, from my, from my selfish standpoint... Um, and yeah, thank you for, for chatting about that, because obviously I know it's a topic we can go into. And I think it gives our listeners, especially you know, to see those who may not know pro wrestling, to see some of the, the behind of it. I think a lot of people think it's still a bit like circus, circus fodder, really, for those people to see it. But as, as I said, and I mentioned sort of the other sort of wrestling podcast that I do, I, I am so grateful for being part of your professional wrestling because it has obviously spawned our friendship and by a, by a, you know a follow-on to that friendship this this podcast which i love doing every week with you i love cooking food with you whether it be good or bad and chatting about every week and eating 819 calories of pudding <laughs> so my abs never ever come in but i i th- I, th- I think sort of from a coaching standpoint from a physical fitness standpoint it, you've you've helped so many people and i it, it's awesome i said i know this isn't meant to be a bit more of a it's quite a, an indulgent episode of the pod because obviously, you know, we're talking about something we're passionate about. But the That's fact fine. that it's our podcast, <laughs> we can do what we want. <laughs> yeah. But I think the fact that imagine if you're listening to this and you're really passionate about food, you want to be a food critic, you want to be a food writer, you want to be a chef. Take the mentality of of how you would for a sports team. You've got to practice, you've got to prepare, you've got to be ready for those things. If you're interviewing for a role to be a top chef, you're not just going to go in there unprepared because you'll fall flat on your face i think it's things like that which are which you can take into any walk of life indeed but on the subject of being going into a into a restaurant and sort of applying for a role as a chef or maybe cooking a sample meal for a future employer would they take what you're picking for this week's recipe of the week as a dish to wow a future employer (laughs) um in all honesty probably not (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's going to be a very nice dish, but it's very simplistic. Um, I know we've run over, and I know um, we, you know, we're kind of going off the subject with food slightly. But I just have one more thing to say on pro wrestling. If you are listening and you're a pro wrestler and you're looking to continue in pro wrestling after life after SCPW, um, make sure that you look after other people that you're working with, and I don't just mean physically; I mean mentally as well. Um, if you are a promoter and a coach, have safeguarding in place and just look after your people. Um, if you look after your people, the people will look after the rest. So 
um that would be my advice so yeah um anyway going back to the recipe of the week this is going to be a fun recipe this week i think Stu. um we are going back to the savory aspect of our cooking um and this week's dish originates in Naples, Italy, uh, and it's thought to come from the 18th century, so it's got a lot of history. And the recipe is typically made with salted bread dough, um, baked in an oven, and you can stuff it with salami, ham, vegetables, mozzarella, um, ricotta or parmesan cheese, and apparently sometimes even an egg. This week, we'll be making a twist on an Italian pizza. Uh, this week's dish is going to be a calzone or a calzone, depending on the way that you prefer to pronounce it. I think the Italians, Italians go with calzone. Um, so different regional variations in a calzone can often include other ingredients um, that are normally associated with pizza toppings. Um, this recipe has taken us back to BBC Good Food. Um, and they instruct you on how to make a pizza sauce, which uh, will be fun to have a go at. And I, but I thought, because they also kind of suggest what toppings or fillings to use, but I thought just as a little bit of a twist on this week's recipe, we'll choose our own toppings and we'll discuss what we go with um, in a pod next week. Oh, very exciting. I like that. I mean, again, it's, it's from the pizza family. It's going to have cheese in it. It's always a winner for me. And it's a dish that, everyone in the household can get involved with you can pick their toppings they can go from there so i think that's going to be a really fun dish to make and hopefully a little bit easier on the waistline than this week's offering possibly and i did choose this because i thought it'd be a nice fun one um something that's relatively easy as well um something that might be fun to make with the family so potentially harriet can get involved with this one and try a little bit too um and the recipe actually suggests that you buy pre-bought dough which i um pre-made dough sorry which i will be doing um and actually if you guys did fancy a, a really really superior um pre-made dough i would highly recommend uh, the northern doco I, I think they're stocked in tesco's and sainsbury's so they're really easy to get hold of um it's a family-based company so check out northern doco and order your dough from them and I can guarantee it is very, very tasty. So there we go, Stu. That's the recipe of the week. Calzoni with your own fillings of your choice. Awesome. That's going to be brilliant. Well, thank you very much, everyone. We have had an absolute blast recording this week's podcast. If you like what we do, please subscribe on your podcast app of preference and leave us a review. It really helps us get found by other food friends um again our numbers are good we're really happy that people are interacting with us uh, make sure you follow us on social media at that food pod on twitter facebook and instagram and we look forward to seeing you next week where we're cooking calzone with our own twist we'll see you next week see you next week guys thank you <laughs>